This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank. Some things should be boring, like banking. Boring is safe and reliable. You don't want your bank to be exciting or unexpected. Unexpected is for podcasts about bizarre scientific revelations, not banks. PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Bank. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. I know I usually save my secrets for the end of the episode, but I'm going to tell you my secret favorite candy. It's Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. It's really Reese's anything, but Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the thing that I'm like, have I had a bad day? I get these. Have I had a good day? I get these. Chocolate, salty peanut butter, the textures. I love everything about them. Also that there's two. So I'm like, oh, I get this one for later, which is one second later. Anyway, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. I love you. That's all. If you're me, you can shop Reese's Peanut Butter Cups now at a store near you. Found wherever candy is sold. And I am. Oh, hey, it's that lady who's both a stranger and also your internet dad, Allie Ward, back with a light and a fluffy episode of Ologies. Okay, this is a big one. It has been looming overhead since the first time I encountered a list of possible Ologies. This was over a decade ago. And I remember seeing Nephology and thinking immediately like, who does that? Who is one? And it was on my mind like a puffy thought bubble over my head so much that if you listen to the ending theme music, you will hear meteorology, nephology, So, of course, you know, I'm pumped as hell to get my head into the clouds for this. But first, per usual, thank you to everyone on Patreon supporting the show and to everyone sporting Ologies gear from ologiesmerch.com. And if you want to contribute for $0, you can just make sure you're subscribed. Just do that. You can text like three friends, tell them, hey, listen to this dumb show. You can rate it on Apple Podcasts. You can leave a review, which keeps it among the NPR beasts at the top of the charts. And also, you know, I read them all because I'm a creep. And this week, thank you to Alsa0219 for this one. They said, this podcast is insanely interesting, even when the topic is something I don't typically have an interest in. Super smart people making super complicated information much more accessible. Hopefully these nerds will rule the world because they clearly have their shit together more than I do. I doubt that. Also, 0219, you left a review. Clearly, you've got it together, and I appreciate it. Okay, nephology. It's a study of clouds. Okay, this is very much a real word. It can mean a scientist of clouds or just someone who likes to gaze up and look at the clouds and would hug a cloud if they could and is like, clouds are tight. Now, neph comes from the Greek for cloud, straight up, but it is not to be confused with the objects of nephrology, which has an R in it. That means the kidneys your pea organs, which we will explore another time. I promise. Okay, so this ologist, this nephologist, I happened upon on Twitter and I found out she was based in LA, a million DJ horns, and there's a pretty tiny number of professional cloud scientists in the world. She says that conferences are like family reunions. And she was like, hit me up for that cloud chat anytime. I was thrilled I was nervous. She came over to my house just this past week, just this past Friday. This is a lightning fast turnaround, folks. Um, we sat on my couch with my sleeping indoor raccoon, Grammy, just inches away. And we looked out at the atmosphere while we discussed what is a cloud? What are they called and why? Are chemtrails real? What ancient weather adages can we actually rely on? Should you chase storms? diamond rain, and clouds shaped like everything under the sun, along with which emojis are the most annoying, with atmospheric scientist, 
professional cloud looker adder and nephologist, Dr. Rachel Storer. Uh, microphones, you just hold them like this. Okay, da, 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 so da. pretty close. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Do you know that you are a nephologist? I didn't until you said that word. <laughs> really? <laughs> um, I was going to ask if people call you a nephrologist a lot, but they don't even call you a nephologist. No, nobody no? calls me that. No. My Some of my friends call me a cloud doctor, cool. which I, I use that one for some of my like social media and stuff. I just think that sounds neat. <laughs> a cloud, Dr. Cloud. Yeah. <laughs> how long have you been studying clouds or how long? When did you when did this start? Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, I've kind of always loved storms. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like I grew up in Pennsylvania and we would get great thunderstorms in the summer and stuff like that. And like my mom and I would sit out on the porch and stick our feet out in the rain and, you know, count between the thunder and the lightning and everything. Um, So I've always been fascinated by it. I remember, but like when I was, I was probably 12 or something like that when Twister came out. Oh, (laughs) Twister. I saw that in the theaters. Oh, nice. Julia, we got yeah, so I think like a lot of people in my field around my age, like that was one of those like, oh my gosh, this movie is amazing. And then right around that time, TLC used to have all these specials about tornadoes and tornado chasing and all this stuff. And I was like, what? Like this could be my job is to like study storms. Um, yeah. So yeah, my undergrad was in meteorology and then I did atmospheric science for grad school and have been doing that ever since. Oh my gosh. Okay, how much of a cloud badass is Rachel? Well, she is an author on papers such as Effects of Convective Microphysics Parameterization on Large-Scale Cloud Hydrological Cycle and Radiative Budget in Tropical and Mid-Latitude Convective Regions. And she got her bachelor's in meteorology from Penn State, which is a big weather school, and did a summer project about aerosols. What the hell is an aerosol, you're asking? Well, I asked Google for us, and it's a teeny tiny thing that floats in the air or some other gas, and it can be a solid or a liquid, like dust or water or pollutants or geyser mist or snot droplets, which, by the way, the latter are called bioaerosols. So if someone sneezes on you and apologize, just say, aerosol, good man. Just kidding. That's disgusting. Please cover your mouth. No offense. Now, she got a degree in meteorology, but there are lots of topics under the meteorology umbrella, if you will. I'm sorry. And she ended up getting her master's and PhD in atmospheric science in Colorado. And part of that was just a really lucky link between that summer project she did. And so when I went to Colorado State for grad school, the, it turned out that the woman who I was working with, she was doing research into how aerosols affect storms. There you go. Yeah. Living in LA, we get like four clouds a year. I know. How do you feel about that? It's really sad. <laughs> I've gotten to the point where I can get like really psyched by like drizzle, you know? <laughs> Your standards just go lower. Yeah. Yeah. You got to take what you can get. Just side note for context, LA does not have a lot of clouds. Let's get to the nitty gritty. What the fuck is a cloud? <laughs> what is it? It's water in yes, the air. It is. <laughs> it is a lot of water in the air. Okay. So if you like look at a, just a regular cloud, I think uh, I'm going to probably get the numbers wrong, but it's literally can be like a ton of water in a cloud. 
but the droplets are just so, so small and, you know, they just can like hang out there in the air and the light reflects off of them and there's enough of them that we see it as white or gray or whatever. So you're looking at a cloud and you're like, it's puffy, it's light, it's in the air. And it's just an absolute shit ton of water yeah. above your head. And the reason it's a cloud and not a puddle is, I don't know. Well, so all the droplets are really small. I mean, literally like... Uh, tens of microns across mm -hmm. as a cloud droplet. And so it's just so light. It has so little mass that just like the little bits of air moving up and around are enough to sort of keep it in place. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, you know, it's not until the drop gets big enough until it forms like a rain droplet that it's sort of heavy enough to fall on its own. So there is a tipping point, obviously, in clouds where there's enough water vapor that condenses where the droplets can't be buoyed by the air underneath it. Yeah, sort of. Like, eventually, there's just enough water. And, you know, the more water you have in a cloud, the more the water is going to bump against other water droplets, and they start to stick together. And, um, you know, water vapor condense directly onto water droplets, and they'll grow as long as it's moist enough. And then, yeah, eventually, the drops will get big enough that they'll fall. Oh, okay. So, let's Talk about shapes of clouds. Okay. The sort of two main types you said are stratus and cumulus. Mm -hmm. And so the sort of difference there is that cumulus clouds are convective, which means that they form because there's air that's sort of warmer than its surroundings and it bubbles up. Like, oh. like you would have bubbles in boiling water or whatever. You just, um, you have air that bubbles up. And so that's sort of why they tend to be like poofy and bumpy on the top and stuff like that. And those are the ones that tend to, if you're going to have storms, that those are convective clouds. Um, or you'll just get like the little sort of, one of my friends calls them the Simpsons clouds. Yes, you know? I was going to ask about that. <laughs> like, it's funny if I ever see a, a really puffy cumulus cloud, I instantly think of the Simpsons. <laughs> da, 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 da. So those are the puffy, fluffy yeah. cotton candy clouds or yep. the cumulus. Mm -hmm. And then there's the stratus. Yeah. So stratus, literally the word like strata means layer. Mm -hmm. So stratus clouds are generally layered, which means that they're sort of forming from sort of a larger area that's rising a lot more slowly. So like over the ocean where things are generally sort of similar everywhere, then you tend to get like stratocumulus over the ocean. Or if it's like a really rainy, drizzly day, a lot of times that will be like, there'll be like a front coming through that's sort of larger. And so there's, you know, a big air mass that's just sort of moving slowly up. And so you get sort of these flat sort of layered clouds. Oh, so it's like a pancake is a stratus cloud and a cumulus is a muffin? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I'll take it. <laughs> and then I guess maybe would a stratocumulus be like a waffle? <laughs> sure. Okay. Why not? <laughs> so hungry. And so then, okay, what are some other types of clouds? Like what is a, like a pyroclastic cloud or a lenticular? Like what are all these terms? So pyrocumulus clouds mm -hmm. are really cool and also terrifying and kind of sad because they're what happens when you have fire, <gasps> um, pyro, right? Mm -hmm. So pyrocumulus is basically when you get so much heat from the fire that it forces convection on its own. 
P.S. Why should anyone care about the meaning of convection when it's not being used to describe an oven that's making me cookies? Well, convection just means a circular current or gas or liquid is less dense and it rises and then the cooler stuff is more dense and it falls. And this happens in weather patterns a bunch because the surface of the earth is warm. So it heats air, that air rises, and then the cooler air above it falls. That gets heated by the earth, that rises, etc., etc. Which, let's be honest, is almost as cool as cookies. That's pretty interesting. Now, pyrocumulus or flammogenitus clouds have terrible names, but they look like fluffy, puffy, billowy, pillowy steam clouds. I'm talking steamy. Um, and so you get these like really strong, like really crazy cauliflowery, convectiony sort of clouds that form. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I've seen them here over the mountains sometimes, occasionally when we've gotten bad fires. And if you look at, like right now, if you look at like satellite imagery over Australia, you mm-hmm. can see uh, pyrocumulus clouds. Oh my god! And yeah. What about a lenticular cloud? What's lenticular that? clouds are awesome. Um, okay. We don't get them a lot around here. Sometimes, if you if you drive a little bit farther east towards the mountains, you can see them. But a lenticular cloud is a wave cloud, so it forms when air is forced over a mountain. <gasps> oh. And so if the air, so if the air, atmosphere in general is kind of stable, then when air goes up, it'll sort of go back down again, and and it'll go sort of up and down in like this like large wave. Mm-hmm. And in the parts where it goes up, a cloud will form if it, you know conditions are right. And so you get sort of this. There are these people call them like UFO clouds. A lot of times they have almost this UFO shape to them because they just form in the little top part of this wave. Mm-hmm. And so you get all these really cool. And sometimes they build up on top of each other. Um, when I lived in Colorado, we used to get the most amazing lenticular clouds. Um, and also, like if you if you ever look at like pictures of like Mount Rainier in Washington, sometimes they'll form like on top of the mountain, and you'll oh. get this like really cool like layered. Uh, it's hard to describe with just words, but... <laughs> oh, I'm going to look it up. Yeah. Y'all, are you sitting? Have you seen a lenticular cloud? They look like sky pancakes or UFOs or like stacks of Hanukkah gelt. And the word lenticular comes from lens shaped like a bulging disc of a lens. Also, the word lens, are you even capable of dealing with this right now? I don't think you are. It comes from the Latin for lentil. So these giant disc-like clouds are like big lentil pillows. And I'll be honest, I think I just crossed the line to wanting to join the Cloud Appreciation Society, which is a real thing. And side note, they published a book called Cloud Spotting, which is just a bunch of cool cloud photos and descriptions. So if you too have ever stopped to snap a photo of a cloud, there's a place for us on this earth. How many cloud pictures do you have on your phone? Like so many? Oh, so many. Really? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Do you... When you're driving, have you ever pulled over to take pictures of weather? I mean, I've been storm chasing, which is a whole different story in terms of driving and pulling over and looking at weather. Wait, when did you go storm chasing? Oh, when I lived in Colorado. But what does that involve? Chasing storms. (laughs) How do you know if it's going to be safe to do so? Are you are you running? You're running, obviously, toward it, not away from. Right. (laughs) Toward it. Yeah. Well, ideally, you sort of place yourself in the right positions that it will like go just past you Mm -hmm. um, so that you can watch it. And does that involve lightning and thunder and also rain? Oh, yeah. Everything. Yeah. Um, I mean, ideally tornadoes, but it's hard to find a tornado. 
Um, Ideally tornadoes. That sentence not said often, <laughs> I'm sure. It, well, you know, we're, we're sort of a special breed. <laughs> what, now, what are, now, other people who study clouds, what are you guys doing when you're studying clouds? What does it mean to be a cloud doctor? My research specifically is, um, like I said, on sort of storms, cumulonimbus, deep convective clouds, however you want to name them. Um, and I look at a lot of like basic things about how much water is moving around in the storm within the sort of main updraft of the storm and then out of the top into the anvil clouds and trying to understand how the environment impacts that. So if it's, you know, if it's warmer or if it's moister in like certain layers of the atmosphere, how does that feed back onto how the storm behaves? Now, does that help people understand just general meteorology and like weather prediction? Yeah. So it's sort of, it's, it's sort of this basic fundamental stuff that I'm into, which is for me, just, I love to answer the questions about it. Um, and then, yeah, ideally, if I learn something worthwhile, then it could help, yeah, make models better for prediction or for climate models or whatever. Do you trust forecasts? Yeah. You do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Our forecasts are actually really good out to a few days and they've gotten, um, you know, there's specific ways people score them and stuff like that. And they've gotten better over the years, even like if you look at like, I don't know, something like 20 years ago, like a four day forecast now is as good as a three day forecast was then or something like that. Like we've gotten even better as we've gotten better models and more compute power and, and things like that. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Nimbus and Anvil clouds. What are those? Yeah. So Nimbus means rain. Oh, it does? Yeah. I never knew that. Yeah. I did not know that. Okay. Wow. That's, <laughs> that's amazing. Okay. Um, so cumulonimbus is like a thunderstorm, basically. It's a fancy name. Yeah. Ooh. That's, um, and then anvil clouds are, so literally like the, the top of the troposphere is called the tropopause. And then above that is the stratosphere. Mm -hmm. And that layer of that transition is really, really stable. So, uh, air that goes up can't really go farther than that. And so when you have a storm cloud that goes up, it goes to the tropopause and then the air doesn't have anywhere to go. The clouds don't have anywhere to go. And so they spread out. Oh. And that's where, and it's, they're called anvil clouds. Cause if you look at the shape of them where they sort of like peek out and, and point out or whatever, they look sort of like an anvil. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. Quick aside. I looked them up and these thunderstorms do in fact look like anvils. And their full name is Cumulonimbus Incus. And the cumulo means heaped. So they're like a bunch of heaps of whipped cream. And the nimbus means rainstorm. And Incus in Latin just means anvil. So when this rising air hits the tropopause, that's the boundary between the lowest level of our atmosphere and the next level stratosphere. So the cloud hits that and it was like, ow, shit, shoot, that's a ceiling. Okay, I'm just going to casually fan out. I'm going to act normal. Hopefully nobody noticed. It doesn't even know how cool it is. How does a cloud even form? You need the sort of basics that you need are moisture and mm -hmm. something for the moisture to condense onto. And you need rising motion. Okay. So if you have air that's rising for some reason, like um, like for a convective cloud, it's because you have, you know, sort of warm air that gets like buoyant it's warm in the air around it or like i said if you have air that's moving over a front or over a mountain um then when the air moves up as air goes up the pressure goes down and therefore the air gets colder that's like ideal gas law basic sort of stuff the ideal gas law side note is an equation and it's pv equals nrt now p is the pressure of the gas times the volume taken up by the gas and those multiplied equal its temperature times the gas constant times the number of moles of the gas, what's my point? 
my point is a professional nephologist does all kinds of computer modeling and physics and stuff on a whiteboard and doesn't just get to stare at the sky and say, it's a chill fucking cloud, man. It's funny that something so beautiful that we see every day is so complicated. You know what I mean? And that's part of what I love about it, right? I'm like, okay, dew point, saturation, vapor pressure. You don't want to hear these things. Those are great. Those are great points. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, you've heard of the dew point. So the dew point is the the temperature at which water would condense given the amount of uh, moisture that's currently in the air, mm-hmm. right? So the higher the dew point, the more humid it is. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... As you raise air, it gets cooler, and so eventually it'll get to where it equals the dew point of that sort of bit of air that's rising. Okay. Um, and so at that point, condensation can happen. Oh, okay. Okay, so quick recap. The dew point is the temperature that water would start to condense, and a 50-degree dew point is pretty comfy, but a 70-degree dew point is just getting into swamp bottom territory. Now, living in LA, this dew point info was new to me. I had not the foggiest idea. And when does something become a cloud if it's foggy? If You know what I mean? Is fog a cloud? Fog is a cloud. Fog <gasps> is just a cloud that's touching the ground. That's cool. literally all it is. Yeah. How far does it have to go before it's a cloud? Just above your head? Like, if, is it is a cloud? Is that a philosophical or a meteorological <laughs> question? <laughs> uh, I mean, I think it's, it's one of those, like, fuzzy things because you've, it's funny. Like, I, you know, if you fly through a cloud... Right. Like, mm-hmm. when are you in the cloud and when are you not in the cloud? Right. Because there's like all these little water droplets. And at some point, it's enough that you can see it. Mm-hmm. But if you look at it with like a LIDAR, there's a lot more that you can't see because it's just too small or too sparse or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, so at what point is it a cloud versus not a cloud? Right. It's not like there's weird, hard boundaries. Right. So, you know, touching the ground versus not like... You know, give me wiggle room. Okay. <laughs> what is it like for you when you're flying and you fly through clouds and you like burst through and you're like, da-da! <laughs> like what is, is that always a more fun for you? Are you always like on the window seat? I like the window seat a lot. I try to, I try to plan it depending on what time my flight is. <laughs> oh yeah. Like if, if I'm flying in like the middle of the day, I'm going to try for the window seat for sure. If mm-hmm. I'm like flying over the middle of the country so I can see some storms. Otherwise I'll, I'll do the aisle because I like to pee a lot. <laughs> You're like, I'm well hydrated. So if it's a nighttime thing, what, why do clouds cause so much turbulence? Um, because where there's clouds, it means that there's a lot of air moving around. Um, okay. It's sort of a chicken and egg thing, uh, because, you know, you're going to have more clouds where there's air going up. Um, but also clouds themselves because there's, um, sort of evaporation and condensation happening. It's like you're going over little waves in the ocean almost, right? Mm-hmm. Where if you, if you are in a, a, a pocket of air that, that goes down pretty quickly, then the plane will get forced down a little bit, right? Have you ever seen people during minor turbulence freaking out and you want to just be like, yo, I'm a cloud doctor. <laughs> Is there a cloud doctor on this plane? You're like, I am and it's going to be fine. I am careful about whether I tell people what I do or not. Really? <laughs> Sometimes on the How plane. Come? What kind of questions do strangers ask you the most? Oh, well, I get like, I get like ridiculous, like, conspiracy theory things like people are all about chemtrails there's something i believe in calmly in chemtrails i've seen them i know they're real i've seen chemtrails let's break it down i was gonna ask you about that (laughs) i mean chemtrails are definitely chemicals that are being spread by the government yeah to make us stupid right 
Yeah, they help, they like read our minds and, you know, yeah, they make us like docile. Oh, cool. That's what I thought. Um, no, what people do think that about um, yeah. when they see contrails from jets, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And then you'll see these, you can go down a rabbit hole of like YouTube videos where people just like will post like any picture of a cloud that looks like at all weird. And they'll be like, see, it's proof. And that's a chemtrail. Wow. Do you look for faces in clouds? Or is that something that you abandoned as a child? Do you still look for uh, shapes in clouds? Um, I don't really go out of my way to, I mean, if I see it, I'll, you know, take note of it or whatever, mm -hmm. but I tend to, I mean, I tend to just sort of like stare agog at them, you know, just like, oh, it's so pretty. <laughs> so we sat on my couch staring at the sky, which was hazy with stripy things in it. They were probably stratus or cumulus, right? Um, what is the, what are these today? These are stratus? Those are cirrus. What the fuck is a cirrus? <laughs> so cirrus is, uh, really high up, basically. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So, um, there's sort of like three kind of like levels, mm -hmm. um, that we sort of think about in terms of like the, the heights of the clouds or whatever. Um, and so the, the higher up ones are cirrus. The middle ones are like alto. So we have like alto stratus or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the low ones are like just like the stratus or cumulus or, you know, things like that. So you can tack on a prefix to tell you where in the sky it is. Mm -hmm. oh. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if you look at like the actual, you could find like there's like a cloud appreciation society that has there's like all sorts of different. Yeah. Um, the, the names get like ridiculous in terms of like how specific it gets for different kinds of clouds. I cannot keep track. OK, so let me pause for a minute just to tell you that she is not kidding. If you have ever stared into the mirror loathing yourself for not knowing what different cloud names mean. Call your therapist and tell them you're healed. Because guess what? You are not alone. Cloud names, they're numerous and they're long and they're confusing. Like not even a rare professional nephologist can grasp them all. But I'm here to lead us through the haze. So first off, let's all pour a little fog juice on the ground for the late Luke Howard. He was a 19th century botanist turned meteorologist who conceived of this system of cloud nomenclature. The dude loved clouds. And he published this opus, The Essay on the Modification of Clouds in 1803. And in it, he was like, hey, clouds, <laughs> clouds are not just water vapor in the sky, blown willy nilly by the winds. All right. Clouds come from the Earth's temperature and all kinds of factors. We need to come correct and have a naming system for them. Have a little respect for clouds. So he turned to Latin roots. And hence, high clouds are cirrus, and that means curl or hair. And they're way up there, and they're pretty chilly. They're made of super cold water vapor or even ice crystals. And the middle clouds are alto which means high. And low clouds are stratus, meaning layer. Now, why is alto in the middle? I don't know. Why does Starbucks call a small a tall? Beats me, dudes. And actually, you know what? I swear looking at this cloud naming is less complicated than a Starbucks order. And just like a latte, you can customize. So the Howard method, remember, he's the granddaddy of clouds, has a bunch of sub-sub categories like cumulus, which means heapy whipped cream clouds. Stratus can mean low or sheet-like, either one, whatever. Nimbostratus, 
for example, is a low rain cloud. Before you know it, stratocumulus stratiformis translucidus undulatus, it's as familiar and soothing as a triple venti sugar-free oat milk caramel macchiato. You're like, I get it. Also, shout out to the Kelvin Helmholtz clouds, which look super oceanic, like cartoons of the sea. They look exactly like the Billabong logo, I swear, but it's not sponsored by Billabong. Let's just debunk that right now. Now, what other myths are floating around out there? One one thing that I get picky about is that the bottom of clouds is generally pretty flat. Mm-hmm. So if you look at sort of like a field of like cumulus clouds, like just sort of the, the, we call them fair weather cumulus, just sort of like the nice little puffy Simpsons clouds. Mm-hmm. Um, they generally will have like a pretty flat base and they're all at like the same height. Mm-hmm. And so when people draw clouds and they're like all poofy at the bottom too, <laughs> that, I'm just like, oh, <laughs> you're like, you don't get it. Yeah. You don't get it. By the by, after we stopped recording, Rachel mentioned that she has a cloud tattoo on her left shoulder blade, and she said the design was really important, and she had to work with the artist to make sure that the cloud was flat on the bottom. As a nephologist, that was very critical. And also, the morning we recorded this, her husband Eric had texted her a good luck gif of a cloud, and in his text, she showed me that he apologized for its shape which was puffy on the bottom. He's like, listen, I know this is an insult to clouds, but the sentiment is there. Also, as a graduate of that prominent meteorology program at Penn State, what else peeves her? You know, I get pretty arched when people do the whole like, oh, you get paid to be wrong half the time, that sort of thing. That's, that's one of those that like sticks in your craw because you're like, oh, you don't even know. Like, we're, we do so well. It's like confirmation bias that you remember the one time that they screw up. Right. But like, really, like we do pretty well. Like you you generally know whether you should bring an umbrella or not, you know? And right. Like, that's hard. It's really hard. That is really hard. <laughs> that To see something so far down the horizon and to say, hey, we saved your butt right? on those rainy days. Yeah. I have so many pages. Patreon questions. Are okay. you ready? Yeah, sure. Okay. Okay. She is ready. But first, before your Patreon questions, each week we make a donation to a cause of theologists choosing. And this week, given the chat about pyrocumulus clouds and the wildfires in Australia, Rachel chose the World Wildlife Fund's charity, Australian Wildlife and Nature Recovery Fund, which supports veterinarians who are treating injured wildlife and provides food and water to critters in impacted regions. They use koala detection dogs to help rescue them and to find other threatened species, and they get supplies to triage sites. So thank you, Rachel, for picking that. And that donation is made possible by sponsors of the show, which you may hear about now. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Listen, we're all carrying around just a backpack of stressors and sadnesses. When we keep them all zipped up and the load gets heavier, it can start to affect us negatively. You start to feel misunderstood, sad, resentful. A safe place to unpack that is, you guessed it, therapy. Therapists can help you dump out your bag and work through the heavy garbage that's weighing you down, in my case at least. I've used BetterHelp. They have definitely helped me understand that pushing my feelings down does not actually make them go away. It makes them feel worse. So if you've been thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient and flexible. It's suited to your schedule. You fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's so much faster and easier than trying to hunt down a therapist from just online listings and cold calling. That's one thing I love about BetterHelp. And if for any reason you're not vibing with your therapist, you can switch anytime, no additional charge. 
no drama. So unburden yourself and trauma dump onto someone who's trained for this. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash ologies today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash ologies. Oh, Kiwiko. We love you. Kids love you. Parents love you. Uncle Allie's love you. Here's the deal. So whether you're staying at home or you're heading out on some summer explorations, KiwiCo is inviting kids, also kids at heart, that's you, to enjoy their first ever summer adventure series. So kids from two years old to teens can receive six hands-on science and art project kits over six weeks. They have something for everyone. They have different topics for each age, whether your kid wants to explore space or learn about dinosaurs. And I've heard from my parental friends that summer can be a little challenging to keep the kids busy. Kiwiko's like, we did the legwork for you. And the Summer Adventure Series is this personalized experience with super fun activities like a bottle rocket kit where kids can build an actual bottle rocket. And you can either receive all of your summer adventure crates at once or weekly for six weeks. I think it's so amazing that they have different crates for different ages. Everything from the great outdoors that has like giant bubbles or a window garden to a trebuchet kit for ages 9 to 14. An entrepreneur where you can do textured clay projects. If you have kids, if you know kids, keep them occupied and learning and having fun this summer with KiwiCo. And you can get 20% off your summer adventure series at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. That's 20% off your summer adventure at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. Oh, have fun. Oh, it's heating up. It's time to say bye now to your jackets and your sweaters and your tights and get reacquainted with shorts and tees, breezy things. Can I point you to the direction of Quince? What I love about Quince, you can build a lineup of timeless pieces. They keep you looking effortlessly chic year after year without spending a fortune. They have premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts. They start at $30. They have washable silk tops. And I love that all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands because they partner directly with top factories. They cut out the cost of the middleman and then they pass the savings on to you. So whether you need a sundress you can wear to a picnic or you need some good t-shirts or tanks that feel nice on your skin and are well-made, head over to Quince. I love them so much I put them on my body. That's what clothes are for. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash ologies for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash ologies to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash ologies. Oh, hi, it's me, the lady that checks a bunch of scholarly articles before she believes anything, Allie Ward. And I feel like we are similar in that we have a fair amount of skepticism and we like to dive deep and find out what the actual facts are. This is why when it comes to any kind of supplements, I enjoy Ritual, which is a female-founded B Corp, meaning that they're holding themselves accountable to not just the company, but also to the health of people in our planet. And they're clinically backed essential for women at 18 plus multivitamin has these high quality, traceable key ingredients in bioavailable forms that are clean. Only about 1% of supplement brands are USP verified and Ritual is one of them. So I like being able to trust what I'm putting in my body. From an aesthetic standpoint, I'll also tell you that Ritual are beautiful little vitamins. They look like lava lamps and they taste like mint. So taking my Ritual is part of my, I guess, morning ritual. That's probably why they named it that and I didn't even think about it. Anyway, no more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. So get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash ologies. You can start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash ologies for 25% off. Down the hatch.
Okay, back to your cloud questions. Catherine asks, why are they so fucking cool? Uh, Molly Rupp says, word for word, the question I was going to ask, lol. So yeah, clouds, why are they so cool? I mean, they just are, right? I'm, I mean, I couldn't put it better myself. Clouds are fucking cool. <laughs> and that's like the great thing is like, you know, like no matter what, I can just look outside and be like, that's just really cool. It's cool. <laughs> it's like wallpaper for the sky. Right? You know what I mean? And it's different every day. And All the time. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. And sometimes it rains on us. Yeah. In a great way. Um, Aki wants to know why are clouds white? Uh, yeah, I sort of got this a little bit earlier, like because you have a lot of droplets all in the same place and the light bounces off of them and gets scattered. Um, it gets scattered in all of the different directions. And so that that looks to our eyes like white, basically. Huh. Um, Kayla Simpson wants to know, how do hole punch clouds form? Oh, so, okay. So this is interesting. Okay, so I have never seen a hole punch cloud or a fall streak hole punch cloud or a cloud canal or a cavum or a sky punch. Call them what you want. But I looked it up and it's like there's just this big gaping bite taken from the middle of a cloud. And if you had had moonshine for dinner, I can certainly see why you would think this was an alien spaceship, as many people have done. So what causes them? Between zero degrees C and negative 40 degrees C, um, all three phases of water can exist, right? Oh. You can have, you can have liquid, you can have vapor and you can have solid. Mm -hmm. Um, if you, there's like this diagram, um, that shows like where the, the dew point of water is. And then also there's like an, a similar one for ice, right? Where at a certain temperature, then ice would form. Mm -hmm. Um, but in those, in those in between regions, it's actually, easier to form ice than it is to form liquid. Oh. Um, so if you have both of both of them in the same place, mm -hmm. then a lot of times the like liquid will evaporate and the the air, the water vapor will be more drawn towards the ice sort of. Oh. Um, and so in a hole punch cloud, um, something happens that sort of disturbs the cloud. Mm -hmm. um, you get something that can that can form ice, like maybe a plane will go through and mm -hmm. you'll get the right kind of particle that ice can form on. And so then a little bit of ice will form and it'll sort of like, and, and a bunch of the water will sort of like go towards the ice and then you won't be able to really see it because that part, there's not much of it there and it's pretty thin. And so you get almost this little, this little hole in the cloud. Oh my God, that's nuts. Yeah. But I'm going to ask, how do you feel about the term cloud computing? Uh, you know, I don't have like strong opinions on it, but I do get a lot of followers on Twitter from various like cloud computing <laughs> resources and whatever. I guess those people would be technophologists. Do you think so? I don't know. Yeah, I think they'd be a technophologist. <laughs> First time question asker, Navarro, um, wants to know in places like Brooklyn, big up, it's overcast almost every day, only in the winter. No visible sun, just a silvery white haze blanketing the entire sky. Um, I actually got curious and Googled it the other day. Turns out the explanation is nephological in nature. <laughs> so can you please explain? And Jack Poirier and Courtney Ryan also have those questions about why is it cloudy in the winter? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm from Pennsylvania originally. And so I know, I know the gray skies of winter. Mm -hmm. It's it's a depressing time of year. Seasonal affective disorder. Yeah. So a lot of it is, is just the kind of clouds that tend to form. So, you know, a lot of like the stratus clouds, like I said, form when the atmosphere is stable. And so you get sort of like these blankety, the stratus clouds. And in the winter, the generally the type of weather that happens tends to be that type of weather. And we don't get a lot of sun, right? That, you know, the, the earth's tilt is like such that we're not getting a lot of sun 
that time of year. And so like the ground's not heating up a lot. And so you don't get a lot of like convective clouds or anything like that. And so a lot of the stuff is just stratusy overcast sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm from San Francisco and I just call that sunscreen. I myself, a foggy day. Oh, soup weather. JK, JK, the Skin Cancer Foundation says that up to 80% of the sun's UV rays can pass right through clouds. So sunscreen just wants to be friends. It's here to help. Use it. So many people, I'm going to say their names quickly, including Emily Maloney, Julie Bear, Dave Insanity, Heather Densmore, Kitty Halverson, Chase Phoenix, Camille Young, Emmanuel Sanchez, and first-time question askers, Julia Tolbert, Belinda Kuo, and Libby Mail asked, essentially asked, in Libby's words, what's the deal with seeding clouds? Yeah. So, um, in order to form a cloud droplet, you need something for it to condense onto. Okay. Um, like I said, we usually call these things aerosols. They're like little like solid or liquid particles that come from different reactions in the atmosphere, or sometimes it's dust or whatever. Oh. So, cloud seeding... They do it in some places do it sort of for research. There's a couple places that do it sort of operationally trying to think, I think like somewhere in Canada, they do it. And I know like, I think in Israel, they do it sometimes over the mountains. But basically if you put a bunch of particles into the cloud, these like little aerosols or whatever, I don't remember what they use for it. Some sort of salt probably. Mm -hmm. I was going to say Febreze, but okay. (laughs) Yeah. Some, Some, okay. They actually can use calcium chloride or dry ice or silver iodide or propane, or even tiny particles of sodium chloride, aka table salt, and bust those into the sky to change the weather. Like we went through a space-time portal into the future. But actually, cloud seeding and weather modification has been going on for like 50 years at least. And you're sort of changing the, the makeup of that cloud. If there's not enough of those particles and you put some in the atmosphere, you're sort of triggering cloud formation. If you like want it to rain more there, maybe. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes what happens is if you're sort of slowing down the rain process, then you can make it rain maybe further downstream. And um, Emmanuel Sanchez wanted to know, what is that happening at the Beijing Olympics with their weather modification? That, as far as I understand, that's what happened was that they did some sort of cloud seeding to to try and rain out some of the pollution. Yeah, I don't know the details on it, though. Okay, so I looked this up and apparently... China's all about cloud seeding, and they shoot rockets of silver iodide into the sky. And then sometimes, hot gossip, it rains over another country, and then everybody fights about whose rain it is. Like, is it Cedar's Keepers? I don't know. I'm not a cloud litigator. Is that ethical to cloud seed? As a cloud doctor, how do you feel about it? Yeah, I mean, it's not really harmful. You know, what you're putting in the atmosphere is just, like I said, some sort of salt or whatever, the kind of thing that's up there anyway. I mean, it's not something that can really be done to any sort of large, scary scale or anything like that. Like, it's it's not easy to do and it's not easy to do well. The places where it is done is like really sort of small scale places where they understand that environment really well. Julia Tolbert, also first time question asker, wants to know, do clouds have a smell? <laughs> Do clouds have a smell? Um, I've never noticed a smell. I mean, rain has a smell, right? Because you get that. It's called petrichor. Mm-hmm. The, the smell of rain, which is like really, I think it's like something in the dirt that gets stirred up when it gets wet or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I hope clouds don't have a smell. It's, it's mostly just water. <laughs> okay. Um, a lot of people, of course, want to know about climate change. Emily Elaine Laborde, Nikaya Wooten, who's a first time question asker, Haley Everson, first time question asker, also Sarah Des, and Jay, Julie Bear, Schmini Thompson, and Janu. 
They all want to know, in Haley's words, will climate change affect the clouds we see and will certain types of clouds become less common or even go extinct? Ooh, okay. So it's a really complicated question that we don't really know the answer to. But, okay. um, I mean, the short answer is yes, it will change things. As it gets warmer, sort of can like shift climate patterns around. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, places that maybe... Um, weren't warm enough for there to be like a lot of convective clouds might get more of those or oh. it can sort of shift where the main like storm track regions happen. And then there's also like over the oceans, there's like these large stratocumulus layers and there's a lot of open questions as to how those will change. You know, there wouldn't be a cloud that would go extinct. That would make me very sad. <laughs> um, but it, it's just, it's more about like small shifts and the the important thing there is like how that affects like the radiation because there's all these feedbacks with warming and how it affects the precipitation. Those are the sort of more important questions for, you know, what we actually want to understand. Yeah. Are we going to get drier as we get warmer? So it depends on where you are. Um, There's one of the sort of things that gets thrown a lot is this like rich get richer idea where the places that are moist will get moister and the places that are dry will get drier, um, which is unfortunate, right? Like, you know, if you live in a place that's like prone to flooding, you don't want more that. And if you live in California, you don't want more drought. Like there's a lot of uh, indications that that might be the way things are going. So we got to stock up on moisturizer in LA. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I know that this is probably a question you get a lot. It's a Super stupid question, which is why I'm asking it. The difference between weather and climate. Yeah. Do you have to explain that a lot? It's a, it's a first step a lot of the time because people, a lot of times when people have doubts about climate change, mm-hmm. a lot of it is like they have all these distrust of the models that we use or people will just be like, Oh, it's, it's cold. Where's that global warming? Right. Yeah. Um, so there's like a lot of really cool analogies for it that I try to remember. But so like one of the obvious ones is that the climate is the clothes that are in your closet and uh-huh. the weather is the clothes that you wear. Ha <laughs> That's a, that's a great way to, to get people to understand the difference, you know? Um, and you kind of address this, but, uh, like a round tree, first time question asker, Mike, first time question asker and Bryce and also Evan want to know, is it true in Bryce's words that clouds often weigh millions of pounds? Yeah. Yeah. A million sounds like a lot. I don't okay. know. I have to do the math, but okay. like definitely thousands. Like I like the like ton has definitely been thrown around. Okay. Like, you know, those like random facts that you hear yeah. and stuff like that. Gracie Zesha wants to know, what is your favorite cloud formation and why? Ooh, okay. So my favorite clouds are Mamatis clouds. What? Okay. Yeah. So Mamatis clouds, usually um, they can form in other ways, but usually they form on the underside of anvils, right? So I said the anvil is this big cloud that comes out from a thunderstorm. Mm-hmm. And Mamatis clouds happen like almost sort of opposite the way that, that cumulus clouds do, where you get sort of little pockets of air that comes down. Mm-hmm. And so like it looks like really bumpy and it looks like this really cool formation. There's a trip down Mamory Lane. Mamatis, the word, you know, I mean, you sort of yeah. get where the root of that comes from, right? Because you get this little like bulby, bulbousy things. Oh. And they're just really, really cool looking. And they're associated with storms, right? So you see them like after a storm passes and especially like if it's evening time, the light shines on them. They can look like really, really cool. Um, They're my favorite. Yeah. And they're boob clouds. They're boob clouds. Nice. Aaron Ryan wants to know, what would it actually feel like to fall through a cloud? (laughs) I mean, it would just feel like falling, but you'd be kind of moist. (laughs) (laughs) It'd be like, uh, ouch. It would be like, ouch. Elizabeth Gagne wants to know, why do cumulonimbus clouds appear to us as such crazy colors like yellow and green and purple? Um, so it depends on sort of what's in them and how the light is scattering. Uh, like the the darker that a cloud is, usually the more stuff is in it, right? Because it's blocking the light above it. Like 
if, if it's really dark overhead, there's sort of like more moisture in that cloud, Ooh. right? Like if it rains, the clouds overhead are usually like really dark gray. Sometimes a uh, cumulonimbus cloud will tend to look greenish. And often that means that there's hail in it. What? Um, because of just the hail is like really big and it just scatters light in a different way. And so a lot of times, like if there's hail in a cloud, it'll have this sort of greenish tinge to it. Um, oh my yeah. God. And then if you get clouds like on the horizon at all, you get all sorts of different color effects because of the, the angle of the light and the way that it scatters and stuff. Catherine Finney wants to know, I once heard from a meteorologist friend that it's possible for clouds to have over 100% humidity. Is that true? How can that be true? <laughs> uh, it is actually. What? Um, yeah. So it's, it's kind of funny. So because if you have just like a blob of air, like when we think about clouds, we sort of like hypothesize this, this parcel of air, which is, I don't know if you think about like a balloon without the balloon on it, just sort of the blob of air. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> and it has a certain amount of water in it and it has a certain temperature. There's like this like sort of equilibrium that happens when you have like exactly the same amount of water, you know, at that dew point temperature or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but like, nothing happens instantaneously. Um, and so you can get like a couple of percent over 100% relative humidity. Whoa, that's yeah. nuts. Okay. So that's not a lie. That's yeah. not from phlegm. <gasps> this by the way is called super saturation in case you ever meet a meteorologist and need to impress them in a pinch. Also, I may as well mention that skywriting involves smoking oil like paraffin to write words. And it's usually done around 3,000 feet up. And to leave a sky message for your sweetie, it'll set you back around three grand. Now, the fancier dot matrix font skywriting is actually called sky typing. And that one lasts longer because it's about three times the altitude, but it's going to cost you like 15 Gs. So at one point, the most commonly written letters in the sky. I wanted to look this up. I was like, they must be marriage proposals, right? No. They said LSMFT. Ooh, what is the secret message? It just means lucky strike means fine tobacco. Hmm. Sky cancer. Somehow less sunny and romantic than I was expecting. Anna Thompson wants to know, what's up with sun showers? The event when it's raining, but it's sunny above you. What's up with that? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, uh, again, things don't happen instantaneously, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you have like rain that forms from a cloud, it can be falling. So the cloud itself might dissipate in the time that it takes for that rain to fall on you. Ah. Or you could have, you know, just a little cloud that's sort of like moving quickly and you get some rain that falls. So yeah, it could happen. Just be popping by. Yep. Um, Eliza Gaston wants to know, how much truth is there in the saying, red sails at night, sailors delight, red sails in the morn, sailors be warned? You ever heard that? It's, I've, I, yeah, I've heard red skies at night. Sailors delight. Sailors delight. Yeah. Um, it's the, there is actually some truth to it and it has to do with, um, the kind of clouds that you get. And it's like, if you have like an approaching weather system versus something that's just passed where you'll see like cirrus clouds and the way that the light scatters off of them and stuff like that. So this adage is attributed to everyone from Shakespeare to Jesus, literally. And the logic behind it is, to quote the Library of Congress, when we see a red sky at night, this means that the setting sun is sending its light through a high concentration of dust particles. And this usually indicates a high pressure and stable air coming in from the West. Basically, good weather will follow. And a red sunrise can mean that good weather has passed. And if it's deep, fiery red, there may be a lot of water in the atmosphere. End quote. So, red skies in the morning, gather your galoshes, which means if you live in LA, you can start canceling your plans. We don't do rain. And a bunch of people, including first time question asker, 
Grace Baden, uh, ask about acid rain. Like, yo, can we talk about acid rain? Grace says, what is up with that? And should we expect more occurrences of acid rain to continue as we continue to fuck up our atmosphere? Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, water carries with it, you know, the stuff that it was in it up in the sky. And mm-hmm. so if there's, yeah, a lot of carbon dioxide in the sky or, or a lot of sulfate forms like sulfuric. But yeah, whatever's in the atmosphere that can sort of form an acid, well, yeah, it'll raise the acidity of, of the rain as it falls. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty gross and harmful. And yeah, if we keep sticking stuff up in the atmosphere, that's the thing that happens. So acid rain was on American minds more in the 1980s before the Clean Air Act of 1990, but that didn't totally curb sulfur dioxide emissions. And some countries' environmental regulations haven't caught up since then. So acid rain, just like acid-washed jeans, remains a global threat. Logan K. wants to know, is a sun dog a type of cloud? No, a sun dog is... Okay, so there has to be a cloud for a sun dog to happen. Okay, um, but what happens is it's usually a cloud that you can't see. It's usually like a like a really thin ice cloud, mm-hmm. um, and then if the sun is at a particular angle, then the scattering of the sun off of that ice cloud will make that that really cool bright spot. Oh, I don't think I've ever seen a sun dog. Okay, so I Google image search them, and sun dogs are like ice halos that make these glittery, shiny spots on the horizon, kind of flanking the sun like a couple of Beyonce dancers. Now, also, as long as I was looking up sun dogs, I was like, what about cloud cats? Boy, freaking howdy, there are a lot of cat-shaped clouds on the internet. Some of them of questionable authenticity. There's a lot of heart-shaped clouds, too. And some real deal dinosaur-shaped clouds and dong-shaped formations, according to a whole roundup of them in the British newspaper, The Sun. Sky dinos, sun dogs, cat clouds. As long as we're talking cats and dogs, side note, raining cats and dogs may have come from the Greek phrase katadoxa, which means beyond previous experience. A little trivia for you. Speaking of which, Lauren Kibral wants to know, how heavy does a cloud need to be before it rains? Yeah, so it's not necessarily about the heaviness of the cloud. It's sort of about the heaviness of the drops. Okay. Um, there has to be enough water so that like rain can form. You know, a rain droplet has to be certain, sort of a certain size before it's big enough, heavy enough to, to fall through the air. Ballpark, like a raindrop is like, I don't know, a millimeter or something like that. Okay. Ish. Ooh. Also, after we stopped recording, Rachel mentioned that the raindrop emoji is on our shit list, too, because raindrops flatten out when they're falling, and they make the shape of, like, a boob implant, or like a whoopee cushion, or I guess a lentil. So now we know that boob implants and whoopee cushions are lenticular. What a great, big, beautiful world we live in. John Morster said, I've seen clouds that have tornadoes in them, and they have a greenish tint. I live in Nebraska. Is that the hail? That's the hail, yeah. What the hail? Uh, Pandora 2 says that my son, Shay, who's nine and is a first-time asker, wants to know, why are clouds never square? Oh, that's neat. Um, <laughs> I like that. Kids ask the best questions. Um, hmm. Because I would say probably because of like turbulence and air is always moving around and stuff like that. Um, plus there's like... All this sort of like chaotic stuff that happens on the small scale in clouds where, you know, just because you have sort of similar conditions right here, they won't be exactly the same 10 feet away. And so maybe you'll get a little bit more cloud here than you get there. And it's all kind of uneven. But they're flat on the bottom. They're pretty flat on the bottom. Megan Leonard. First time question asker. 
wants to know, can clouds carry parasites or harmful pathogens like Giardia? Oh, can clouds get beaver fever is also another thing that <laughs> Megan would like fever. to know. I don't know. I don't know if that is. Okay. That, that sounds inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea if cl- I, I presumably, like, I mean, I, I know that they can have bacteria. Yeah. Like bacteria is, is something that um, can actually be like a, a, a cloud condensation nuclei if it's like the right shape or whatever. Really? Yeah. So it could rain Giardia down on you, maybe. Maybe. I hope not. I just Googled, can it rain Giardia? And I found out that there can be algae and fungus and bacteria, all kinds of things in clouds. And between that and the chemtrail research, Google's probably pretty worried about me. Have you ever heard about those storms of like lizards and frogs that rain down? Yeah. It's fucking crazy. (laughs) That'll turn out cloud green. If you're like, lizard brain? Dad, you're on the drugs. I swear I am not. Please listen to the thermophysiology episode if you have not. It's with the wonderful Dr. Shane Campbell-Staten for more on clouds of cold-blooded critters. Ethan Bader has a great question. Wants to know, if different clouds had personalities, what would they be? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Wow. Um, I mean, you know, stratus clouds would be sort of like gloomy, you know? (laughs) Like, like emo yeah or like i'm picturing like sadness on inside out you know okay sort of like <laughs> um and then and then yeah cumulus clouds would be would be pretty happy i think right okay they're just they're, they're pretty friendly they're just chill mm-hmm. um and yeah cumulonimbus clouds would probably be like they have like a short temper okay <laughs> make the thunder what would lenticular clouds be like your weird aunt <laughs> maybe yeah <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> i feel like a pyrocumulus would be uh yeah, not someone I would want to mess with necessarily. Yeah, no, probably not. Um, first timer, Politar wants to know, why do clouds look like they're moving really fast sometimes? They are moving really fast sometimes. Really? How fast? Yeah. I mean, so like you tend to get, like, you know how there is a jet stream that jets like to fly in? Mm-hmm. I mean, the air up there can move like, oh, I'm trying to think like 50 knots or something like that. So it can just, just like zooms through. Yeah. And if you look up and there's clouds at different layers, it's cool. You can you see that they're moving at different speeds. Ah, so you can just sort of track one and, and, and it's just floating right over you. Yeah. Just like a bird. Melissa Croce wants to know, first time question asker, what do we know about clouds on other planets, if anything? Are there different types of clouds on those planets? Yeah, so the the neat thing about clouds on other planets is that a lot of them aren't water clouds, which is like just sort of mind boggling to think about because yeah. the temperatures are like so much colder, for instance, that you can get like methane clouds what? and stuff like that. Yeah, so that's pretty neat. Okay, I checked into this and NASA JPL researchers have calculated that in the methane stormy regions of Saturn, it could rain up to 2.2 million pounds of diamonds annually. You have a crush on Saturn now, don't you? If you like it, you're going to have to put a ring on it. Rings. Okay. You know what's funny about that is when I picture it raining diamonds, I picture it like cut gemstones and not just rocks. Like for, for some reason, I picture that too. <laughs> there's, there's an episode of Doctor Who, I think, where there's like something like that, some sort of diamond planet. <laughs> like they're already cut and polished, like yeah. the diamond emoji. I, I picture the same thing. Yeah. And you're like, ow, ow. What do you think is the crappiest thing about clouds? What do you hate? Or what do you hate about studying them? Or what is your least favorite cloud? What cl- what about clouds is on your shit list? Wow. I don't know. I just love clouds. But yeah, I mean, being a scientist is frustrating sometimes. I yeah. mean, there's, you know, there are days when all you're doing is like, 
Googling error messages for some code or, (laughs) you know, like when you have to write papers or proposals or whatever, and you're like spending all this time writing, which is like one of those things that I never really enjoyed doing. And nobody really told me was such a huge part of the job until Mm -hmm. I was like, it was like too late to change my mind. (laughs) So people picture you just on a grassy hill staring up at the sky with maybe like a casual notepad next to you, but really you're like, (laughs) you're at a computer. Yeah. I'm at a computer constantly. Yeah. I mean, what I I use computer models to do my work and yeah. So I, you know, make fake clouds in the computer. They're less pretty than the real ones. Um, what do you love the most about clouds or your work or about being a nephologist, which you now know you are? Yeah. I mean, I just love that like on a day when my work is making me grumpy that I can Mm -hmm. just go outside and look at the sky and Uh, be like, Oh, right. That's the thing that I'm studying. Like this cool thing. And you know, I get to work with other people who get excited about it too. Like the few days of the year that we do get a storm come through, there's like a couple of us that are like really like the weather weenies in the group that'll be like outside, like huddled on the side, like, (laughs) oh my gosh, there's actual weather. I know. And the the greatest thing about LA is that when it does rain here, it's like a holiday. Like yeah, people like don't magical. go to work. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone cancels their plans. Yeah. It's just like, well, it's raining. And I was yeah. like, oh, no, I know. I know. Well, I'll be staying home, which is <laughs> so thrilling. Um, any advice to anyone who wants to become a nephologist? Ooh, um, so one of the biggest things in meteorology that I think maybe people don't know is how much math it is. Okay. Um, so if you like want to, to study meteorology, you should probably bone up on your math skills. Okay. A lot of like math and physics and stuff like that. Cool. Well, I would say that you're a ray of sunshine, but you're really, uh, I feel like that's an insult in your work. So you're just a very, you're a very dense and deep, dark, stormy cloud. And I mean that as a compliment. Okay. <laughs> that's the best kind of cloud, right? It's, I love them. So as always, meet smart people and then invite them into your home if you feel like it to ask them stupid questions and to follow Dr. Store. She's on Twitter at clouds in my beer. We're at ologies on Twitter. Come be friends with us on that. And on Instagram, we're at ologies. You can tag your merch photos, ologies merch, and we repost you on Mondays. And thanks to Shannon Feltis and Bonnie Dutch for handling that. They host the comedy podcast. You are that. And you should take a listen. Uh, thank you to Aaron Talbert for adminning the ologies Facebook group. Thank you to Emily White and all of the ologies transcribers out there for making episodes accessible for free. Those and bleeped episodes for kids are up at alleyboard.com slash ologies extra. There's a link in the show notes. And if you ever need a pro transcriptionist, email hireemilywhite at gmail.com. She is wonderful. Um, Thank you, Jarrett Sleeper, for the assistant editing and some research help this week. And as always, the happy cumulus in the shape of a mustache, Stephen Ray Morris, who hosts the Kitty theme percast and the dino-themed See Jurassic Right podcasts for lead editing. Could not do it without you. Uh, Nick Thorburn wrote and performed the theme song. Now, if you listen to the end of the episode, you know I tell you a secret. And this week, okay, so once I had this big meeting, I was really nervous about it. And for fun ahead of time, I was talking to a good friend who was like, let me draw you a tarot card from the deck sitting next to me. I'll see what advice I should give you. Kind of like in a let's see what your fortune cookie says. And the card was a sword. And I don't know dick about tarot, but she was like, oh, that kind of means like action and courage and power. And I was like, that's tight. Those are good meeting vibes. So before the meeting to remember to feel like strong and courageous, I straight up took a Sharpie and I drew a sword on my stomach. And it was fun going into a meeting knowing that I had a giant sloppy, asymmetrical, poorly drawn sword on my belly under my shirt and nobody else knew. But now you know. So go ahead, write crazy shit on your body before a meeting. 
But don't do it before a date because if it goes well, that could be really weird. Unless you're seeing an ex and you don't want to get back together. And then maybe you could write, hey, if you can read this, th this was a mistake, which would probably kill the mood pretty quickly. So hot tip there. But yeah, it's your body. Graffiti it up for the day. Also, sometimes it's fun to write happy birthday on your butt and then hang out with a friend all day and then moon them. And they're like, surprise. Just make sure that the ink is non-toxic. I'm just your old dad looking out for you. Okay, bye-bye. Pachydermatology, homeology, cryptozoology, lithology, technology, meteorology, Right up in here, we'll make a happy little cloud. Use just the corner of the brush. You can just put as many layers of clouds in your world as you want. But do one layer at a time. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. <laughs> 